the name of this message, and I was going to go into Revelation again, but we have a lot of our, our sisters gone, you know, a bunch of them. And if I went into the book of Revelation, chapter 21, a lot of them are, a lot of the gals, man, love Revelation and prophecy, and it's awesome to see. But uh, they'd be, I'd be, you know, kind of skipping uh, a part, that, or they'd be skipping it. And I thought, you know what, I've been praying, uh, and I've actually worked quite a bit on the next message for Revelation. In fact, I would say most of my study was not on this message yesterday, although I, I got to bed probably about 2.20 this morning to finish this message. I worked a lot on it, but it was a message for probably next Sunday, which I'm really excited about uh, on the book of Revelation. But this is called Choose the Fear of the Lord. Now, if you can, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, because I'll tell you what, man, one of the things that's lacking in the church today is being taught on the fear of the Lord, you know? When's the last time you've gone down, you turn on Christian TV, you got to be very careful with Christian TV because a lot of it's that word faith, prosperity, God wants you rich and give me a bunch of money and he'll give you back this fold and so forth. But whether it's Christian television where you found somebody that's sound, you know, I got to be careful because we're on Christian TV in different places, <laughs> uh, but we're teaching sound doctrine. Or you're listening to Christian radio. How long has it been since you've heard someone preach on the fear of the Lord? It's, it's, it's almost barren out there, you know, and praise God for the brothers and the pastors out there who are sharing on the fear of the Lord because it's not common enough. And we need to know what the word of God says uh, on the fear of the Lord. And it needs to be preached, especially in this day in which we live, you know, where uh, we have, you know, defund the police, you know, and the police are neutered uh, in certain areas. And you see lawlessness just increasing because people feel there's no consequences to their lawlessness and to the rebellion. And uh, you've seen, you know, cities on fire, you know, uh, without any consequences. Right now, I mean, you could go into, in California, you can go into a shopping center and, you know, rip off, rip them off for 499 bucks. As long as it's under 500 bucks, you know, you won't do prison time. You can do it over and over and over and over again. Because we have these liberal DAs and so forth where they've basically neutered uh, law enforcement, uh, well, politicians, and then liberal DNAs that actually we've got one that Soros planted out here. Uh, he was in Frisco. Now he's in L.A. Uh, and just totally taking the teeth out of the law, right, to where there's no consequences and people less, are more and more disrespecting police. And it's a form of racism because when you categorize all people according to the actions of some few, that's, that's kind of like racism. You look at some ethnic group and you see some short of falling and you ignore your own and your own ethnic group or in your own heart because we're all sinners, right? And then you take that ethnic group and say, oh, they're all like this. That's so, that, that, you're being such an ignoramus when you do that. They're all like this. It's ridiculous. It's so foolish. And when you do that with the police and say, oh, they're all this way. It's just ignorant. That's not reality. But the media would have us at times think that all policemen are evil. And they wake up thinking, who can I kill of a different race? That doesn't mean there aren't some problems, and there are problems in every sector of life. And any police officers, I believe, that actually target someone because of their race, they should, be, they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. There should be law in that regard as well. Or there should be, uh, you know, justice in those types of situations for sure. But I'll tell you what, right now, uh, the Bible says, Jesus warned that the last days lawlessness would increase, right? And that's in Matthew chapter 24. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said terrible times would come. And he said evil men would proceed from bad to worse, okay? Uh, so we have the scriptures warning us that there would be this increase of lawlessness in the end of days, which there certainly are. And one reason is because not just lack of fear of law enforcement, but there is a lack of fear of God. That's the main thing we need to have. And by the way, the Bible warns and talks about how you're, you're wise to fear law enforcement if you're doing evil, uh, because that's what God basically gave ministers of law, and they don't have ministers in the sense that the, those in law enforcement are Christians, although some of them are, thank God, but it's not the, a ministry of the church, but it's a civil ministry whereby God creates a situation where there's not anarchy because governments ought to have uh, a form of uh, law. In fact, in Romans 13, 3 and 4, it says the rulers are not a cause of fear of good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do you want to uh, do what is good? And you have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil." So when you neuter law enforcement, you very basically say, hey, you know, you just do whatever you want, do what thou wilt. And that's Satanism. 
Do what thou wilt, you know? And people want that. Of course, those who are on the left would love to see more and more lawlessness and nobody ever in prison and so forth. As long as they're rich and they've got their gated communities, they can keep people out and everybody else is getting killed. It's no big deal. Because a lot of them are, you know, I mean, come on. Hollywood's not really known for being saints, you know? And the left in the media, you know, they, they, they run amok with their rebellion. A lot of them are, you watch our video, they sold their souls for rock and roll. That same spirit's alive and well in the media as well with people in high places. So it's important for us to understand that we need to truly fear the Lord. In fact, look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. Knowledge. Fools despise. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, you don't want to remain. Now, we grow up and we don't have a lot of knowledge. We don't have a lot of wisdom. But we need to fear the Lord so we grow in knowledge and we grow in the wisdom of the Lord. And look at verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you, uh, how long, O naive ones, will you have being simple-minded? Okay, we love being simple-minded. And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. In other words, hey, he's instructing us to, to, to fear him, right? And he says, I'm stretching out my hands. He's telling us to seek him. And he says, if you turn uh, to my reproof, you know, I'll pour my spirit out upon you. That's a benevolent, loving God. Amen. That's not a deterministic God who decides that you're just going to be burned forever. He's pleading with them, and then they refuse to come to him. And then in verse 28, we read, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer, because the day of grace is over. It's time for, they're being judged now. It's too late. He goes, They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Why, Lord? Verse 29, Because they hated knowledge and did not what? They did not choose the fear of the Lord. We have to make a choice to choose the fear of the Lord. But the Bible says, choose this day whom you will serve. Amen? You know, very, very clear in Scripture over and over again. I put life and death before you, it says in another place. Guess what? Choose life, he says. Amen? Jesus said, I'm saying these things that you may be saved. John chapter 5, verses 39 through 44. Verse 34, actually, through like 40, 41. I'm saying these things that you may be saved, he says the religious rulers. But you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. His objective is to speak in such a way that they could actually come to him and be saved. They refuse to come to him that they might have life. We need to choose the fear of the Lord. Now, many people say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament, as though they're different gods. You know, politicians will seek to make, you know, the average person think they can be lawless without fearing, you know, authority. Well, that's what Satan tries to do in the church and he tries to do in the world. He tries to do it theologically. The Marcionites, a Gnostic group in the early church period, tried to divorce God from the God of the Old Testament as though they were different gods, you see. And many of the Gnostics would claim the God of the Old Testament. Well, he's evil, but Jesus, you know, he, he's good. But it wasn't the Jesus of the Old Testament. It wasn't the Jesus of Scripture. It was the Jesus of their own machinations and imaginations, you see. Now, it's interesting because listen to what it does say in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? To walk in obedience to him over and over and over and over again. I could just do one study just on all the scriptures that tie obedience into fearing the Lord. They're connected. If, you don't, if, you, if you're not obedient to the Lord, you don't fear him. Not the way you ought to fear him. You don't really recognize who he is or you're not responding to him in the way he really is, okay? And now Israel, what does the Lord ask of you? But to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. I love that, man. Now, some people say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, man, God was, God was radical, you know, but in the New Testament, you know, Jesus is like, you know, remember, he's like, he's like a lamb, it says. Yeah, he is. But he's more than a lamb. Go to Revelation chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. Revelation chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. This is the Apostle John. There's this seven-sealed scroll. Opening up this scroll will unleash the judgments whereby God will... Uh, enact and execute his not only judgment but take dominion over the earth and then establish his reign at the second coming and 
John's crying because nobody is found worthy in heaven or on earth or under the earth to open this scroll. And he's weeping, he's crying. And then we read in verse 4, Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open this, the book or look in it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the what? The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to what? To open the book and its seals. Verse six, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a what? A lamb stand as if slain. Jesus still bears the wounds of the cross that show his love for us and his hatred for sin. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So he is Yes, the Lamb of God who gave himself for us. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. God is love, 1 John 4, 16. Amen. He's the Lamb of God. He sacrificed himself for us. He loves us with, with the most profound love. We can't even get our brains around it. You know, seldom somebody might die for a righteous man, but it's like rare, Paul says. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. That's amazing, incredible love. That's love that Hollywood can't touch. They don't understand that kind of love. They don't have the true love story, man. We got a God that loves us so much that he became a man and died in our place, amen? That's amazing love. But God, guess what? The Bible doesn't just say God is love. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 says, God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29, God is a consuming fire, okay? He's holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, and you'll remember, man, when the seraphim were flying before him in Isaiah 6, with two wings they covered their feet, with two wings they, they covered their eyes, their faces, with two wings they flew. With two wings they covered their what? Faces. What does the word seraphim mean in the Hebrew? It means what? Does anybody remember? The burning ones. The burning ones. They're burning because they're in the presence of God, and you can't even get into the presence of God. The Bible says that no man can see God and live, amen, until we fully have our final redemption at the resurrection of our body, and we're glorified. Then the pure in heart will see God. Revelation 21, which we've been studying lately, we'll eventually get to the verse, God the Father and the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of New Jerusalem. There's no need of the Son. And how can you, he dwells in unapproachable light, it says. How can you be in his presence? Because of his redemption, through his love, because of his blood, we can actually be in his presence. I went through a scripture with you a few weeks ago, a couple weeks back, on the holiness of God, and we talked about how the scriptures tell us who can endure the everlasting burnings. Remember that? Who can endure the everlasting burnings? We can't go into the everlasting burnings. We're talking about the presence of God in that context. Then it talks about how you can eventually. We can't do it on our own, man. We would be burnt to a crisp. Amen? Up in smoke, man. Burnt to a crisp. We'd, I've, I've said before, man, tissue paper has a better chance of surviving before a flamethrower than you do in the presence of God, apart from the grace of God. Amen? He is a holy, holy, holy God. And the seraphim, burning ones, they're hiding their faces because he's so radically holy and beautiful and powerful. But they're like, and they're saying one another. Isn't it amazing how holy he is? Holy, holy, holy. What a radical God we serve. And Christians, most Christians don't view God this way. I'm not making anything up. I'm telling you what the word of God says. Amen. We need to recognize how big, how awesome, how powerful, how wonderful, how sovereign, how, how wonderful he is, man. Amen. And we need to the Bible says in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not with license. and They don't say, you know, soft, soft, soft is the Lord God Almighty. No, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, it's interesting because, well, yeah, I guess there is some about fear of the Lord in the, Old, in the New Testament. Yeah, there is a lot. In fact, if you go to uh, Revelation chapter 14, verses six and seven, I won't read it, but it says, the angel that flies through the midheaven preaches the everlasting gospel. And you know what his first words are? Fear God, okay? And I'll read verse, the last part of verse seven. He said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. Well, guess what? Fear him who? Who's, whose judgment is coming? Jesus's. He's coming. Revelation 19, a few chapters later, he comes with his robe dipped in blood. Okay? His name, name across me is the word of God. Amen. Eyes of fire, sword protruding out of his mouth. He's asked, why is your robe dipped in blood in the book of Isaiah? He says, it's because treading the wicked in my judgment. And when you read about Armageddon in Revelation chapter 16, man, the horse, the blood from the wicked in the valley of Megiddo comes up to the horse's bridles. That's our Jesus, guys. Okay? 
He is love. He's the Lamb of God. He loves so much. He gave himself for us. But if we refuse to come to him, we say, we are God. We're not going to follow you. And we try to assert our own dominion and be God's. We will judge. He will judge us justly because we are not God. And that's a lie. Amen. Amen. Are you with me this morning? In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it talks about the early church. And it says, this is their church, book of Acts. So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, enjoyed peace as it was being built up. And as it continued, and as it continued in the fear of the Lord. Do you catch that? The church continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It kept increasing. A healthy church continues to fear the Lord and continues to receive comfort from the Holy Spirit. Last Wednesday and this coming Wednesday, we'll be talking again about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We did a couple messages on the Holy Spirit a a couple months ago as well. You see, Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? That doesn't change. He's holy. He's love. Amen? he's, He's to be feared. These are all sides of God. Different aspects of his holy, indivisible nature. In fact, in Hebrews 10.31 says, says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then it's in 12.29 where it says in the same book, he is a consuming fire. That's the same book that says Jesus is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So we're constantly, we're supposed to, brothers and sisters, man, if you don't fear the Lord, you don't have a biblical understanding of who God is. You can't read the scripture and accept what it's saying without fearing God. Because one thing you see from Genesis onward, man, is he is holy and he's to be feared and he's, he's for real, amen? In fact, uh, in Revelation, we read, unto the angel church of Thyatira, chapter 2, beginning at verse 18 through 23, the Son of God has eyes of fire and feet with burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and your faith, your service, your perseverance, and the deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, that church was tolerating a false prophet to, to teach false teaching in the church. And that's how it is a lot of, days, a lot of ways today. A lot of churches, they tolerate false teaching. And, they, and she was leading them into idolatry, sexual sin. And there's a lot of churches that have teachers that are teaching a form of license where people, they're not taught that they need to live holy. They're not taught God needs to be first. And you're supposed to love them with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're not taught to abstain from sexual sin and so forth. And he says in verse 21, I gave her time to re- repent. Okay? Repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. He gave her some time. Look what he says he'll do. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know, all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the minds. He says, Jesus, this is Jesus. How do we know it's Jesus? Because verse 18 says, and an angel of the church of Thyatira, right? The son of God who has eyes as a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this because the son of God talking. And he says this, and I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to the one, uh, to each one according to your deeds. So there's a church where they're like, oh man, we're saved by grace. We could live wicked lives. Go, uh-uh. Okay. If you're saved by grace, you're trusting me. Faith without works is dead. You're going to be true. You're going to have evidence. There's going to be some good works in your life. You're not saved by your good works, but that's the evidence that you have trust in Jesus. Amen. So what's interesting here is he says, because they're not walking in the faith, you're going to be judged according to your deeds now. Ooh, they're in big trouble. Now notice that this is Jesus, guys. I'll kill her children with death. And in this context, her children probably are her disciples, her followers. And in Jeremiah 10, 11, because he says, I'm the one right here. And Jesus says, the son of God right here says, I'm the one who searches the hearts and the minds. Amen. And we'll give everyone according to their deeds, right? Well, guess who he is? He's Yahweh of the Old Testament, who is holy, holy, holy. In fact, Jeremiah 10, 17 says this, I, the Lord, all caps, by the way, in the English, because when you see all caps in English, it means who's addressing you? Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, YHWH, the divine name of God. I, the Lord Yahweh, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I'm that God. 
I'm Yahweh. That same Yahweh in the Old Testament, I'm that Yahweh in the time of the New Testament, and I'm radical, and I judge rebellion and sin. He's a lamb, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah, amen. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah who treads the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. These are not idle threats. You remember in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Remember what happened there? Go ahead and turn there. This is in the New Testament church, guys. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Yep. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and land uh, laid it at the apostles' feet. So hey, they had land, they bought it. A lot of people were going, I mean, they had people from all over since the day of Pentecost that came from far away and became Christians, Jews. And a lot of them settled right there in Jerusalem. A lot of people had nothing, so there were, a lot of believers were like, having everything in common, selling a lot of their possessions and, and, and giving to, and helping that, the, the other Christians out were trying to make a life there. And as time went on, that practice continued to a degree. And Ananias Sapphira said, hey man, we got this piece of property. They sold it. They said, hey, we're giving you the whole bit, the whole, all the money for the property. Now they didn't have to do that. And they could have given 50%, 20%, tithe part of it, 10%, whatever. But it's that they lied about it. And they said, we're giving you everything from the property. Verse 3, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Why do you guys have some weird, you know, I got, I, right, chapter 5, amen. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, while it remained was it not your own? And after it was sold, he goes on to say, you know, and what happens here is he's put to death, man, Okay. And he's hearing these words. He falls down. He gives up the Holy Spirit. Or he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. He gives up his spirit. And, and it says what at the end of verse 5? And what? And great fear came on what? All those who heard these things, right? And men arose. So, and then, you know, his, his wife comes in. Peter asks her basically the same question. She lies about it too. Uh, then verse 9 says, Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out. She got killed too. Then in verse 10, then she fell down straight away at his feet and yielded up or gave up the spirit. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her forth, they buried her by her husband. Now look at verse 11. And what? And great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many as heard these things. These are texts that aren't preached much. We don't want anybody to think that God's going to do something like that. <laughs> well, that's the Old Testament. No, that's not the Old Testament. It's the book of Acts. Acts of the church. Amen. That's radical. Now, this is what a lot of, a lot of pastors, I'm sure some pastors preach this, but a lot of times when they do, it's like, so you need to make sure you give your 10% or you're going to be killed. You know, stuff like that, you know. Or they'll bring you to Malachi, more likely to do that, you know. If you don't, if you don't tithe and give 10%, God's going to bring a curse upon you, you know. And that's not what this text is about, okay. This text is about being true before God and your brothers and sisters in Christ and recognizing that God is holy and that he wants his church to be holy, amen. And he doesn't want his church to be leavened. So when wickedness is in the church, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and this guy is having sexual relations with his own mother, right, and the church isn't doing anything about it. Paul says he's already decided you excommunicate that guy. Because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It'll pollute the whole church. Because if you pat this guy in the back and they, oh, everything's cool. Everybody else going to start thinking, oh, you could just live like hell and enter the kingdom of heaven. And it'd be a full-blown deception. Amen? And that's wicked. Because that leads, that leavens the church. And that's what's happened today. Because people do not teach the fear of the Lord. They don't teach that God is holy, holy, holy. Lord, God Almighty, the church is being, basically, it's, it's, being leavened through and through. And people are living wicked lives. And Paul says, the very next chapter, know you not that the unrighteous will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows the flesh will from the flesh reap 
corruption. But he that sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, and we shall reap if we continue, he goes on to say. It's, I, I've, I'm conflating uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 with Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, which says again, we know for certain that no immoral person will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, that let no one deceive you with vain words, because of these things come the wrath of God and the children of disobedience. And those who practice these evil things, Paul says, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. But he says, let no one deceive you with vain words, meaning there's a lot of deception out there with vain words where preachers are making the congregations, the Christians think that they can live wicked lives. They don't have to fear God and they don't have to repent and they're going to just make it to heaven. And Paul warns over and over again, the apostle of grace, that's a huge deception in the church. People don't fear the Lord today. Now, you know, uh, we could keep this up for the rest of the service on man and both, you know, barrels blazing and why we need to fear God and we should fear him and we should work out our salvation, Philippians 2.12, with fear and trembling. And, oh, and that's another way. Well, we're supposed to fear God, but that just means we should have a high idea of who he is and revere him, but not really fear him. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, the Greek word trembling doesn't, no, it does mean trembling, okay? And if you saw who God is, and how ugly your sin is before him when you embrace it and hold on to it and refuse to turn. That's why the holy angels, which are created much higher than us in his presence, are holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. You need to know who you're dealing with. You don't mess with him. And thank God he is love, amen? amen. And gave his son for us because he loves us. But if we don't put our trust in Jesus and we try to assert our own divinity, we become our own gods. It's a lie. And it won't last very long because it says in Jeremiah chapter 10, all the gods who did not create the heavens and the earth shall perish from under the earth. They'll be judged. But we could keep talking about how much we should fear him. But I want to talk now in the, 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 the second two-thirds of this message about all these incredible blessings that come from fearing the Lord. Amazing blessings that come from fearing the Lord. Number one, if you fear the Lord, you will be blessed and you will prosper in him. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, how blessed, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. And it goes on to say, wow. Psalm 115 verse 13, He will bless those, he will bless those, he will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. Man, it's beautiful. Psalm 128, verse 1. How blessed is everyone. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You notice over and over again, again, fearing the Lord is connected with what? Walking in his ways. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes and to fear the Lord, our God, and we, that we may always be prosperous and preserved as we are to this day. Isn't that a trip? You being blessed and you having a prosperous life is tied to fearing him and obeying him, okay? And it may not be physical prosperity, but if your main focus is material prosperity over being right with God and being, having your name in the book of life and being with him forever, then you don't understand what's mostly, what's, what's the greater value is there, okay? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said, and he'll add all these things to you, meaning he'll meet your needs according to his riches of glory, amen? Yep. So you could trust him to meet your needs, Proverbs 15, 16 says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. So you can have great material uh, things in your life, but it's better to have just a little and have the fear of the Lord than have all kinds of great material wealth and have turmoil. Because if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're going to have turmoil. Amen? So the, the best thing is to seek God first and let him decide how to bless you because he knows how to bless you way better than you know how you should be blessed. Amen? Absolutely true. And number two, the fear of the Lord brings great spiritual knowledge and wisdom. We already read Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, the fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and destruction. But you know, that's taught all over the scripture. Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Wow. Number three, the fear of the Lord leads to the greatest of all riches. 
Jesus talked about those who have true riches versus those who are not rich in God. He talked about that man who said, I'm going to retire, man, and I'm going to amass all this wealth. I'm going to build barns to hold all my wealth and so forth. And, and the Lord said, boom, he died that very day. He didn't have it for the Lord. And Jesus talked about true riches, having a relationship with God. And uh, the, so the fear of the Lord leads to the greatest. Uh, it's, the fear of the Lord is the key to the greatest of all riches. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6 says, He will be the sure foundation of your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord, listen to this, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What's the key to? What's the key to? The store of salvation, the store of wisdom, the storehouse of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure, Isaiah 33, 6. Man, because when you fear the Lord, man, you get to know his word. You get to know his truth. And guess what? Without his word, you're in the dark. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, amen? If you don't have his word, man, you'll fall in a pit, Jesus said. And guess what? Job 23, 12 says, Job says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. That's the treasure, man. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Speaking of wisdom, for she's more profitable than silver. And her gain is better than fine gold. He is more precious than rubies, or she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire compares with her. Nothing you are desiring compares with God's wisdom. Christ, the Bible says, is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Wow. And by the way, if you fear the Lord, you're going to have the greatest spiritual wealth you could possibly have because you fear and love him. Amen. And the material wealth and blessing, whether God will meet your needs according to his riches, glory, he promises that here, and he can bless you in a lot of ways. But that's between him and you, right? But guess what? Ultimately, the Bible says, Jesus became poor that we may become what? Rich. And he's talking about salvation and knowing him. There's no greater riches than knowing Jesus, have a relationship with the one who created it all. Amen? Because Amen. there are blessings at his right hand forevermore. Amen? And we're going to walk on streets of translucent gold. Amen? With the best, most luscious fruit, 12 types, one type every month on the tree of life and all these other wonderful things. Read about the wedding supper of the lamb in Isaiah chapter 25 and 26. It's, there's all kinds of material blessings that come too, but not necessarily in this life. And we shouldn't be seeking to live for those today. Amen? We should be thankful for our provisions. Amen? God provides and, and we should be grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. I just obey his word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know what? I've never, we've had, I don't know, we've been like seven, eight places. I think this is our seventh place. I've never said, let's move to another building. I want a nicer building. That's not me. It's always somebody, we're kind of outgrowing this place. You know, can we look? Oh, sure. Pray about it. Da, da, boom. And praise God. Look where we're at, man. Hundreds of thousands were put in this place. Not by us. By those that came before us. And we just came in here and we're renting this beautiful place, you know. That's great facilities. We've got a great studio up there that we're making things that are touching millions of people for the gospel, you know? It's all by God's grace. Even when it comes to homes, I'm never, I never once said, oh, I'd like to move out of this place. I'm, praise God, I got a great wife because I'd still be in the 700 square foot home we lived in for quite a while, you know, which I was very content with, you know, but guess what? My library was all over her living room. <laughs> you know, I have a great, I have an awesome, wonderful, beautiful wife, you know? And she's just, she's precious and uh, she's endured. But the Lord's given me, I mean, I've never bought furniture. Somebody's, hey, you need some furniture? Great, you know? And it's been a blessing. The Lord is so good. So, uh, number three, the Lord, he, we get our greatest riches from him. In fact, listen to this, Job 20, 30, 28, 15. It's talking about wisdom. It cannot be bought with gold nor can its price be weighed out in silver. You guys, man, what the best treasure you have is in Jesus, who is the word of God made flesh, and in his word, amen, and a relationship with the Father, and having the Holy Spirit in your life, amen, having brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a family, the family of God, amen. All these wonderful spiritual riches we have. Job 28, 18, coral and quartz are unworthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. Wow. Psalm 19, 10, they are more precious than gold 
and much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Man, when you're in a dark place or when you're, whatever where you're at, God's word is sweet, man. Way sweeter than honey. Honey, bless your lips, your, your tongue. You're like, mm, that's good. But it's gone. The word of God endures forever and it blesses your soul. Psalm 119, verse 72. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I love that. Number four, you want to fear the Lord because the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, man. It prolongs your life. Psalm, one, or Psalm chapter 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. The fear of the wicked will be shortened. I'm sorry, the years of the wicked will be shortened. So if you fear the Lord, man, it prolongs your life. If you don't fear the Lord, your life is shortened. Psalm 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, instruct the wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding for through wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. You see God's, the fear of the Lord brings wisdom and wisdom helps you live life skillfully in a way that your life is blessed and prolonged. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 3 now this commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, this is Moses, that you might do them in the land where you are going to oversee and possess so that you and your son and your grandson may fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. There it is again. That your days may be prolonged. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that verse, those verses that say in verse 1 that begin, in the last days perilous times will come, right? It says a little bit later that children will be disobedient to parents. That's one of the signs of the times. They'll be in rebellion to their parents, to authority. Satan is trying to break down all authority, anarchy, you know? You could just, even though you're biologically male or female, you could decide what you're going to be and just deny reality. And your parents are taught to approve of it, otherwise they're not politically correct. Or your parents will sometimes tell you what you really are because they're far, far left and they want to tell their friends on social media, oh, guess what? Jimmy's really Jana now or whatever. That's just the way it works today with a lot of people. It's really, 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 really sad and tragic what that does to a kid. Okay, now we're warned. It, now, young people, man, Exodus, 10 commandments. You've got one, one commandment. The first commandment with a promise is what? You show what? Obey your parents. And then Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, he says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. See, the wicked, the Bible says, will not live out half their days. That's a general rule. Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Verse 23, but you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous is joy. The expectations of the wicked will perish. Proverbs 22, verse 21 and 22, for the upright will inhabit the land and blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be uprooted. Psalm 37, 28 says, for the, Lord lives, uh, for the Lord loves justice and will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. Make sure as a parent, man, you're living a righteous life for Jesus. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17 says, the eye that mocks a father, that scorns an aged mother, will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. Young people, man, obey your parents, man. Honor your parents. It's serious, serious stuff. In fact, Proverbs chapter 29, verse one, a person often rebuked, say you're a young person, you keep getting corrected, but you refuse to listen to your parents, or you're getting older, and you're an older person, and you're, you're corrected by brothers and sisters, and you're continuing rebellion. A person often rebuked who becomes obstinate will suddenly be broken beyond remedy, or some translations will suddenly be cut off beyond remedy. So young and old, man, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, perilous times will come, right? And it says they will be without family love, storge, right? Remember that? And that's translated, you're right, Israel and the King James, unnatural, they'll have unnatural affection. Romans chapter 1, when it describes 
you know, fornicators and, and homosexuality. It talks about how they exchanged that which was natural for that which was unnatural. And they will be without storge, family love. Alessia Crowley, the Satanist, said the family is public enemy number one. That's his words. A member of Crowley's OTO, a guy named Harry Hay, uh, was the founder of the gay moderation, gay liberation, uh, modern day gay liberation movement. Old, he's called the oldest hippie because he's out with all these young kids, man, walking and promoting Crowleyism and homosexuality, called the oldest hippie, because he was there after the young people. In fact, he marched in a gay parade with NAMBLA placard, National Man-Boy Love Association. That's what it's all about for a lot of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of them. They're targeting the kids. They'd love to see the age of consent law dropped. Many of them fight for the age of consent laws being dropped. Different places in Europe, like in Netherlands, where I preached several times, man, the age of consent law dropped pretty, pretty strong. Because these men want access to our kids and they don't want us to be able to say a word about it. They don't want the law to say a word about it. In fact, Alfred Kinsey, we did a whole video on, a video on him, an expose called the Kinsey Syndrome, who influenced the sexuality in our country more than anybody else. And I can't even say some things from the pulpit that he was promoting. It's just so sick. But you know what? He, his people were going to court trying to get the age of consent laws lowered so they could have that our children, Okay. We live in a wicked world. The spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. We need to recognize that as those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are in a spiritual battle and that the world does not have fear of the Lord. And the Bible says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Amen. Don't be conformed to the world, it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. So we need to make sure we're in the scripture so we see and understand continually who God is so we continue to fear him. The Old Testament has many wonderful benefits, man. Because you get to see how holy God is. How radical he is. Don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. The dude's like, <laughs> dead, boom. But that's the God of the Old Testament. Don't make me take you back to Acts 5 or Revelation 2, okay? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, amen? He's holy and he is to be feared, amen? Wow. Now, by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah, when it says that these... Angels had come in the form of men. They came to rescue Lot and his family. A bunch of people came to gang rape him. Guys. It says young and old. Okay? And it says it'll be like the days of Lot, Jesus said, in the end times. So systematically, spiritually, the demonic world is blinding people to the gospel, but he's also continuing the idea of rebellion, trying to deface the image of God, letting us, male, female, marriage, a picture of Christ and the bride, he hates that whole deal. He just wants people to run amok in sin and rebellion and bring as many down with him as possible. And th- what happened to Sodom and that's a, that's a warning to us in the New Testament times. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says twice these things were written, these Old Testament stories. And it's after he talks about how God wiped so many people out in different ways after they were delivered from the land of Egypt and redeemed from Egypt and even were baptized in the Sea of Moses, ate from the, the, the bread, that, which is a picture of Jesus, by the way, that came from heaven, drank from the spiritual rock, he says, which is Christ. They had all these wonderful experiences, but with them, many of them, God was not pleased. He laid their corpses low in the wilderness. You know the wilderness story, man. Not that many entered into the promised land. And they says, these things were written down for our destruction that we might learn from what God did in the past. And when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, listen to Revel, or Jude 1.7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example. They're exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. That's an example for us right now of whether it's angels or the sons of God, the daughters of men, which is, he's talking about in the context, being like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Who went after strange flesh and eternal fire. There's judgment, man. If you think, oh, it's no big deal, man, to be in sin and heart of my heart and just do my own thing, everything's gonna be good and then it's just gonna all work out. No, it's not. You gotta, you gotta, hit, your, you gotta hit your knees, man, or you gotta, in your heart, humble yourself and say, God, have mercy on me. I repent. I turn from my sin, okay? <sighs> Number five, the fear of the Lord helps us perfect holiness and keeps us from sin. The fear of the Lord helps us perfect holiness and keeps us from sin, keeps us from doing evil. 
2 Corinthians 7, 1 is a commandment. It says for us, it commands us to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. That's New, New Testament. To, command, we're commanded. It's not a suggestion, by the way. These are not suggestions, guys. These are commands to the Lord. To perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord, right? Cleanse yourself of all sins of flesh and spirit. So the fear of the Lord helps us perfect holiness and keeps us from doing evil. Exodus 20, 20 says, don't be af- afraid of what? For God has come in this way to test you. Okay, meaning don't be afraid, meaning like he's just going to wipe you out this second. Walk with him. And so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. But you need to fear him. Stay away from rebellion. He's merciful. He's redeemed you. He loves you. All's good. But if you rebel against him, woo, you need to fear him. And it will keep you, it says, verse 20 of Exodus 20, from sinning. Right now, there's a lot of debate on the vaccination, the, how efficacious it is. It's obviously efficacious to a, de- a degree, but it's also this mass experiment. You know, what's going to happen later possibly. So you got these people going back and forth. Do you need it if you've already, you know, had COVID? The evidence says you're way better off than someone who's been vaccinated. So there's all this debate going on. Be, should we just make everybody get vaccinated even if they've had COVID? All these things and all these arguments about being vaccinated, how important the vaccination is. Guess what, folks? You know what the most important vaccination you need is a vaccination against sin. Because sin has a 100% mortality rate. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Amen. And the soul that sins will die. Amen. You know what? The, one of the greatest vaccinations is against sin? The fear of God. We need to give that vaccination out. Amen. The world could use a heavy, heavy dose of the fear of God. Amen. Because that's what's destroying the world right now. Satan's the father of lies, and he's got all kinds of people lying about all kinds of things, all kinds of people being deceived. The fear of the Lord is what the world needs today. And praise the Lord, when that angel, when all kinds of Christians are being mass murdered during the tribulation period because they killed Jesus, and Jesus says they, kill, they hate the master, they hate the servants even more, right? You're gonna get persecuted radically and they're gonna try to shut them up and guess what? Christians will be brought before magistrates, civil leaders, kings, and Jesus said the Holy Spirit will give you words to testify, right, of, of him, Amen. Yeah, I'm not going down with my blazing. I'm going down testifying about Jesus. Okay, uh, to me, that's the most noble way to, to you know. Uh, now, if you come in my house, right? Or if there's a, uh, there are people, you know, come to invade our country, I do believe in self-defense. But when it comes to the gospel, you know, I'm, I'm called to testify, man. And I lose my head, great, man. Because guess what? Absent from the body is the presence of the Lord. Be my, the best day of my life. You have to have a biblical perspective, amen? But guess what? That angel is saying in the mid-heavens, fear God. And he preaches the everlasting gospel. So even though they put a lot of Christians to death, and those who go into captivity, prison will go into captivity. Those who be killed with the sword will be killed with the sword. But two witnesses will finally be killed. But guess what? Can't stop that angel from preaching fear God in the context of his judgments, amen? So God's message will not be, God's word will not be held bound. But the fear of the Lord uh, keeps us from sin, it's like a vaccination against sin. Listen to these scriptures, guys. Psalm 119.63 says, says this, I am a companion with all those who fear you and those who keep your precepts. Wow, you know what? That's who I'm a companion with, all those who fear the Lord. Don't divide over the vaccination, by the way. Satan would love you to do that. Well, this person believes this, so I'm not gonna fellowship with them anymore. Really? Let me see a chapter verse on that. You know, allow people to have different views. Even if you feel your, everybody's going to feel their view is the best view. Otherwise, they wouldn't have their view. Okay? You need to be merciful, amen, on other people, amen. You could talk about it, talk about it in love, and also be open to evidence on whatever side you're talking about, amen. You want to be informed and you don't, you don't want to have a skewed view, right? But guess what? Don't divide over what you believe about the vaccination. That Satan would love to do that in your heart. But guess what? You know where I'll divide? Whether someone fears the Lord or not. Because he says this in Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all those who fear you and those who keep your precepts. If someone's claiming to be a brother, but they don't fear the Lord and they're not obeying him, I'm sorry, I can't fellowship with you, man, because you're not real. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, that guy that's having sex with his mom, out of the church, man. You leaven the whole lump. So the fear of the Lord keeps you, though, from sin. Listen to this, Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Now notice they're clean and, and they're righteous altogether and so forth. Now it's interesting because Proverbs 3, 7 says this. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See, the fear of the Lord keeps you from evil. It keeps you from sin. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way that in the perverted mouth I hate. Proverbs 16.6, By loving devotion and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns aside from evil. Job 1.1, There is a man in the land of us, us whose name was Job, and the man was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. If you are not shunning evil, you do not fear the Lord. You could say you do, but you don't because it would have an effect in your life. And if you're, not, and if you're in disobedience to the Lord, you need to repent. And you need to, as Proverbs chapter one says, choose the fear of the Lord. It's a choice that you make based on wisdom, based on knowledge. And woo, God is God and I am not. And he's going to, everything's gonna be brought into judgment. It says that at the very end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man of the world at the time, right? He says, everyone, you know, better fear the Lord because everything's going to be brought into judgment. Amen? And Job, Job 1.8, I read Job 1.1. Job 1.8, this is God's commentary. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright, upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Wow. Job chapter 2. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's the Lord twice to Satan, and that, was, that second time was after, and the first time introduces it, so three times, it's the word of the Lord. We commentary from the Lord himself, that Job feared the Lord and turned away from evil. Job 28, 28, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. And you're wise if you're like, man, I'm not going to be involved in evil because that's destructive. That breaks God's heart. It not only breaks God's heart, but it breaks his moral law, and it's harmful to others. My walk with God. Oh, well, I'm not hurting others. You're made in the image of God. You're destroying the image of God then. And you're, therefore, you're hurting others because you're destroying the image of God. You can't be a blessing to others the way you ought to be. Amen? So it's still affecting others. Because Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. He that doesn't gather with me scatters abroad. So if you're not gathering and serving the Lord, you just think, well, I'm in my own private sin. I'm not really hurting anybody. I'm just what, looking at pornography every day and refusing to repent. Woo, man. And I'm not hurting anybody. You are. First of all, you're fighting an industry financially, probably in some way, where women are being exploited, so you're helping out with the exploitation of women. Oh, no, no, I got all this porn from another guy. Well, then you're still hurting the image of God. You're destroying the image of God. I just got the 10-minute sign. Lord, help me. Because I don't know what number I'm on, man. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm on number... I didn't, I'm on this number five still. I have 20 of them. Wow. We'll see how far we get. Okay. Wow. So we need to make sure that we're not flirting with sin, man. And that we're not thinking, oh, it's okay. Uh, remember Joseph was tempted in the Old Testament, Potiphar's wife? She grabs his cloak and says, sleep with me, you know? Joseph says, no one is greater. This is uh, Genesis 39, verses 9 and 10. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Ultimately, he'd be sinning against God. He feared the Lord. He recognized sin is a wicked thing. Amen? Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And you know what? Job had perseverance. James 5, 11, it says that we're supposed to consider Job and how he persevered. How did he persevere? He didn't fall into a life of rebellion because he feared God. Number six, the fear of the Lord keeps us from hell. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, I'm not going to give as many references now so you can see how many I can get through, right? So I'm not going to multiply my references as much. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But Jesus said, but rather fear him who is able to destroy, destroy both body or both soul and body in hell. <laughs> one more reference though, Luke 12, 5. Jesus says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear the one who after you have been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus preached this more than once, man. We're supposed to fear God because he could throw us in hell. And guess who he's talking to? His elect apostles, that they need to continue to trust him. Number seven, the fear of the Lord is a key to experiencing God's mercy. Luke 150, and his mercy is upon 
generation after generation toward those who fear him. Psalm 103, verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the loving devotion of the Lord or the mercy of the Lord in some translations extends to those who fear him and his righteousness to their children's children. Number eight, those who fear the Lord experience divine guidance and he makes his covenant known to them. Proverbs 25, 12. Who is the person who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. Would you love to have God guiding you and directing you? Fear him. And he will. He promises that. Verse 13, his soul will dwell in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. I love that. Cornelius doesn't know who the Lord is. The best of his understanding, man, he's trying to follow follow, follow the Lord. And guess what? Because he fears the Lord, he makes his covenant known to him. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles' salvation. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Well, what about the aborigine? What about this? Whoever fears him, Jesus said in John 7, 17, whoever wills to do the will of the Father will know the doctrine. They're going to know who he is. That's a beautiful promise. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. So if you begin to fear the Lord, basically you see, wow, look, he's created everything. Guess what? Because of his grace, he moves in on you because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto some men, unto just the elect. No, it says unto all men, okay? And then when you fear him and respond to God as your creator, guess what? He gives you more and more light and he makes known his covenant to you. He made it known to Cornelius divinely, found Cornelius' heart to be seeking him in response to God revealing himself to us all because he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John chapter 16. Number nine, the fear of the Lord brings divine protection from the Lord. I love this one. You fear the Lord? These are great blessings, by the way, amen? Great benefits for fearing the Lord. It's another great benefit. Psalm 115 verse 11 says, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. If you fear the Lord, he'll be your help. He'll be your shield. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait on his loving kindness. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. You want to be untouched by evil? Fear the Lord. Psalm 34 verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps, the angel of the Lord encamps, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Woo, these are beautiful promises. Psalm 33 verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord on those who fear him and those whose help, those who hope in him and his unfailing love. I love it, man. Job fear the Lord, Job fear the Lord, Job fear the Lord. And what happened? Psalm 110. Have you not placed a hedge, Satan complains, on every side around him and his household and all that he owns? You have blessed his work and the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. In other words, Satan's upset because God has put a hedge of protection around Job because Job fears him. Well, but wait, God brought the hedge up. Yeah, for a period of time. So he could doubly bless Job in the end if he was faithful. Amen. So understand that the Lord protects you and puts a hedge around you if you fear him. Now, there's going to be times of trial. That's why he tells us to put on the full armor of God so we can stand in the evil day because each of us will face the evil day at different times in our lives, but we need to make sure we're fearing him. Amen? Amen. Because even then, he gives a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. Amen? And he doesn't leave us or forsake us. The hedge is ultimately still up, spiritually speaking, if we're seeking him. Number 10, the fear of the Lord protects you and your children, okay? The fear of the Lord protects you. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. Psalm 115, verse 13 and 14. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. Psalm 128, verse one through four. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat, he shall have the fruit of your hands. You will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine with your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Blessed, uh, for, uh, or behold, for thus shall be the man who fears the Lord. Your, your children, your family, you'll be blessed. You turn away from the fear of the Lord, man. And you and your wife don't fear the Lord anymore. I feel bad for your kids, man. You're a bad example, and you leave them. That hedge goes down. Number 11, fearing God brings friendship with God. Psalm 25, 14, the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. I have other scriptures I'm not going to read. Isaiah 41, 8, 2 Chronicles 27, if you want to look them up later. James 2, 23, those scriptures talk about how Abraham was a friend of God. And the scriptures tell us that Abraham feared the Lord. In John 15, Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatever I want. In other words, you fear him, you love him, you obey him. Number 12, fearing the Lord helps ensure that we enter our eternal rest. Fear the Lord helps us ensure, 
that we enter our eternal rest. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter four, verse one and verse 11. Therefore, let us fear, this is the New Testament, by the way, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. He's talking about the disobedience of those in the wilderness. Number 13, the fear of the Lord keeps us from being cut off. New Testament, Romans 11, verse 19. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. That's new to the New Testament command to us. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity. But to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And by the way, you're being taught today, oh, don't worry, you don't have to fear God. You would never be cut off. Once you're in the olive tree, you're always in the olive tree. Ooh, is that what I just taught? No, teach that you can be cut off, very clear. 14, the fear of the Lord keeps us from committing apostasy. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, meaning the life of rebellion, turning away from Jesus, the cross, the faith, man, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins because you've left the sacrifice. You've left what Jesus did for you. But a fearful, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you think he will be deserved? will be deserved by those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God, have profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will pay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I can't even whistle, man. My lips are parched. 15, the fear of the Lord helps us uh, helps us uh, to receive the grace of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 28, 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. And by it, we may receive, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Number 16, the fear of the Lord leads to eternal salvation. Malachi 4, 2 says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip like the calves uh, from the stall. Psalm 85, 9 says this, surely his salvation is near. Listen to this. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in your land. 17, the fear of the Lord leads to trusting him for our salvation. Exodus 14, 31. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' his servant. Number 18, those who fear the Lord experience God's compassion. How many want to experience God's compassion? Psalm 103, verse 13 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You see, 19, he delights in those who fear him. You have the delight of the Lord. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Okay? And last but not least, uh, number 20, the fear of the Lord relieves us from worldly fears. This is an important one. These are all important. But the fear of the Lord relieves us from worldly fears. Is the world in a little bit of fear right now? I mean, people don't even want to leave their homes. They don't want to go to a restaurant. They don't want to go into a store. And whether it's because of violence or it's because of diseases or it's because of whatever. And we need to be wise, amen, in the decisions we make because we live in a crazy world. But we need to fear the Lord, not the things of this world. And the, the, I love this. The fear of the Lord relieves us from worldly fears. Remember Jesus said in Luke 21, in the end of days, as things get closer, the birth pains increase, people's hearts will fail them for fear of things coming on the earth, Amen. But he said for us as believers, we're not to fear those things, but we're supposed to look up when we see these things happening to him. Amen? And know that our redemption is getting closer because it's exactly what he said would happen. And our faith should grow. And I love it because the fear of the Lord relieves us from worldly fears. Isaiah 8, 13. It's talking about the, 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 and it wasn't an imaginary thing. They were saying conspiracy, a conspiracy, oh no. They were freaking out. And they went wrong to say, yeah, that's a conspiracy. Because guess what? The Assyrians were coming. Okay, but to make that their focus, oh no, we're dead. They should be fearing the Lord. And look what he says. The Lord of hosts says, let him be your fear. Let the Lord be your fear. 
and let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary. So you make the Lord your fear, and then you have peace, amen? Then he's your sanctuary. Then he protects you. He keeps you. So a proper fear of the Lord keeps us uh, in his sanctuary. And guess what? When you fear the Lord, listen to, uh, listen to what the scriptures say about fearing the Lord. I love this, is, is the fear of the Lord gives us a refuge in him. And we don't have to fear the things of the world. In fact, Psalm 112 verse 1 says this and verse 6. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear. So if you fear the Lord, you will not fear the things of this world. Amen? There it is again. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, okay? Trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversary. I mean, God's going to take care of the wicked, man. He's going to deal with them. This is powerful. And it's a trip because there's a great illustration of this in the book of Job. Because it's, there's this two types of fear going on. And at first, they're freaking out because of the storm, right? And I'm sorry, not the book of Job. In Jonah. The book of Jonah, the storm is raging, man, because Jonah's in rebellion to God. And we read in the first chapter that the sailors, they were, fear was just overcoming them, right? And then we learn that Jonah, well, guess what? Guess who he fears? He fears the Lord God while they're fearing the storm. And it says as that they, it says in verse 10, they had fear with greater fear. Their fear of just being capsized and dying was growing. But Jonah was fearing the Lord because he knew where the source of this was taking place. And, and we read that the sailors turned their fear to him. And when they recognized that Jonah was being judged by God, he jumped off, right? Then the storm stopped. Well, yeah, he kind of got help, you know. <laughs> he kind of got help, man. So... Uh, but, you know, he volunteered as well, though, you know, because he's a picture of Christ who gave himself for us. Amen. Actually, the first Adam got us. We're all in the same boat because the first Adam, but we've kind of, we've chosen sin too. And that's why the, there's a storm in this world in this boat that we're in. Amen. But the second Adam came, Jesus. Amen. He plunged into the water for us. Amen. And he died in our place. As Jonah was in the belly for the, uh, the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be the heart of it. That's a picture of Jesus. Amen. And only when Jesus gives his life does a storm stop of wrath against us. But it says of the sailors, it says they turned to fear him and quote, and greatly feared the Lord. Verse 16. Wow, I love that, man. So they realize it's not the storm I need to be fearful of. It's, it's him, the God of the storm, the God who's in control of everything. Amen. And that's what we need to learn today. You need to fear the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, you recognize that whatever happens with the storm, I'm in his hands. He's my sanctuary. Right? Neither height nor depth nor principality or power or any other created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, amen? If you are trusting Jesus, he says, the Father and myself, he goes, we're stronger than everyone, man. No one can pluck you out of our hand, amen? The question is, are you abiding in him? If you abide in the fear of the Lord, you ab abide in the wings and under the shadow of the Almighty God, which is the best place you could possibly be, amen? But the question is, are you choosing today the fear of the Lord? Amen. A little quick pop quiz. Is the fear of the Lord only for the Old Testament? Yes or no? No. Should we fear the Lord today? All the time. All the time? Amen. With fear and trembling. Amen. Praise God. It was a pop quiz. Really quick one. You guys got an A plus, man. Let's all stand up. We'll pass out the cup and the bread.